Summer drinking season is long, which is why non-alcoholic beer is a great addition to your cooler. But what makes you reach for one NA beer over another? Is it great flavor, variety of styles? Maybe you just like a cool can. Well, no matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor, it's athletic. Award-winning styles, it's athletic. Huge variety, guess what? It's athletic. From IPAs, extra dark, sours, hazies, and more, to summertime favorites like light brews and goldens, it's the number one NA beer brand in the U.S. It's athletic. Ask for it. Fit for all times. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Think about it. You're hanging out at the beach. Maybe you're going to a music festival, ball game, camping, late night, early morning. Wherever the summer takes you, the best part is zero hangover the next day. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use the code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. Today's episode of Nerd or She Wrote is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeel and Seth Partner. Are you ready to be entertained? Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerder She Wrote on the Back to Back Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave DeFour, joined as I am every single week by Mo Dakil and Seth Partnow. From the jump, we wanted to follow the athletics lead and we want to highlight a local business and Seth has come up with some ad copy for one of his favorite places in Milwaukee. Oh, it might not necessarily be one of my <laughs> one of my favorite places, but it's certainly one of the most important places for the the health and welfare of, of my family. Uh, for work at home parents in the Milwaukee area, Little Sprouts Play Cafe is a perfect spot to get some work done, enjoy a cup of coffee uh, while your small children occupy themselves with creative play. Now that schools, offices, and of course, play cafes are closed at the moment, uh, Little Sprouts is making parents' lives easier with local pickup and delivery of books, activity kits, and birthday boxes. And this week, especially Easter baskets. Check them out at littlesproutsplaycafe.com. And and I just want to put the all call out there. If you're a listener of the show, if you've got a small business or a restaurant or something that you would like us to highlight, you know, this is a national show. We will We will highlight your business anywhere. Uh, it doesn't just have to be in one of the places we live. Uh, but now let's talk some basketball. Seth, how many people were angry about your column on offensive styles and how they've changed or not? Uh, I didn't. 
I, I got the one kind of regular way to make basketball boring comment. But other than that, the, the comment <laughs> seems like there's it's like clockwork. There's one of those. It's like you read this whole article just to say that. Thank you. Well, I don't know if you know this, Seth, but nobody wants to look at graphs when they're talking. Nobody. That's, that's true. <laughs> I've, you know, I, I, I've, I've made an entire career of, of people not wanting to look at stuff I've done. So that makes sense. No, I kid. Uh, no, the response so, was, the, the response was pretty positive. Um, I, you know, um, I, it sort of felt like more of an intro than a, than a fully formed piece to me, but the response has been pretty good. I have to say, like I was reading through the comments. Um, I am shocked by the level of discourse in the comments on your articles. Like people actually know what they're talking about. I mean, there's there's points per chance uh, cited in the comments. Like, where does that happen? Well, I mean, that's isn't that kind of the athletic fan base too? And you know, yeah, the Seth Partnell yeah. fan base is. I would expect that from the Seth fan base. Like, I, I would be disappointed otherwise. If unless it's me going in there, going like, so what's this PPP thing? This points per possession thing? I would be a little bit disappointed. <laughs> so how is how is the league changed? First of all, there's the one kind of surprising thing, actually, to me. Uh, you can divide. This is using Synergy data going back to 2004. So for a number of reasons, uh, Synergy data isn't perfect. It wasn't designed as a, quote, data source so much as more of a scouting platform. But it's, in broad terms, it's it's useful. So the, the kinds of things that end chances, end scoring chances in the half court have been about 50-50 between on-ball actions where, you know, it's the guy with the ball in a pick and roll, a guy isoing, a guy, a guy posting up increasingly a guy coming off of a, of a handoff or a DHO. Possessions have been used about 50-50 between that those kinds of plays and kind of spot-up shots, coming off screens, getting the ball off a cut or a dump off, uh, stuff like that. Basically, it's been 50-50 or thereabouts consistently for the last 15-16 years. Now, the mix of the on-ball actions has changed a fair amount, but it was surprising to me that, you know, there's still about half the time the guy with the ball is responsible for, you know, whatever happens happening. And, and about half the time, someone else does something, if that makes sense. I mean, that's kind of how... It's kind of matches the eye test. I, I, I was I was just surprised the fact that that that, that it was the, the consistency that it was like between like forty eight and fifty one percent were on ball actions like every year like clockwork and and even as the like I said the mix has changed. Uh, there's obviously I mean it's not it won't surprise anyone to know that there are far more pick and rolls now and fewer isos and especially post ups than there used to be. But those are kind of they're they're kind of trading off against each other. They're not taking away from kind of the other sorts of plays and the other sorts of plays have kind of held pretty constant among themselves and be- because of some of these things post-ups are actually slightly more efficient correct i mean this is that's sort of a selection bias i think um in that it, they are because it's happening less a greater proportion of post-ups are joel Embiid. Right. <laughs> so you know <laughs> but they're your best post-up guys like right. it's him it's brooke lopez it's guys that can actually score out right. lebron right. was absurd in the post this year so amazing this year. so like the you're not posting up god who's a crappy one we could name christoph uh, porzingis of, yeah exactly you're not posting up porzingis and and on a regular basis so he, he's not going to be dragging the numbers down because there's not that many possessions of it right it's not necessarily that the it's the selection bias of who gets to do it now much more than any you can that's something you can kind of see in a lot of different stats across basketball is when something starts to be done very rarely the efficiency actually spikes like for example mm-hmm. there this is something i've noticed well it's a curveball yeah but it's something i've noticed is that like sometimes you'll find that teams that never get out in transition actually have a really high efficiency in transition and it's because that since they're not really looking to 
to run, the times they run are like mm-hmm. when when the other team falls down. So it's like, yeah, you got a breakaway. So that that you're you're uh, right. You know that, that the other team falls down or whatever, just completely falls asleep. You know, roughly the same amount against every team. But if you're running a lot, that's a smaller percentage of of the of your transition chances versus if you're running like extremely selectively. So it may, it makes you look more efficient even though you're not actually doing it that often i wonder if if part of why the spurs seem to be so great at actually making threes like a high percentage of their threes comes from the fact that defenses don't worry about the three ball as much with them i mean clearly they also hunt for great shot over good shot but i do you think that that might play a part of it uh sure I'd have to dig, I'd have to dig in a little bit more. Sorry, Mo. I'd have to dig in a little bit more to to see how the uh, the what what the mix of 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 shot attempts looks like, but uh, um, it's certainly possible. And it's also there's there's a certain amount. Of, I just always think styles makes fights. Right? And there's a certain amount of year to year variance. And like la- not this past season, but the season before when they led the league in three point shooting, I think that was a Bertans, b some like. Uh, a slightly unsustainable uh, degree of, of overall uh, accuracy from from their players. But it also goes to like what David was saying, though, too, of like them hunting specifically going from good to great threes and trying to get the open looks like I'd be interested in seeing the data of how many of theirs are open looks, whereas like, I mean, I've watched a ton of Houston, you know, the, this past year and, you know, a lot of those threes. Even some of the ones of the guys where you're like, yeah, Austin Rivers, you shouldn't be shooting this contested three. Like, that's not your game. That's not, you know, like they're they're getting a lot of high numbers out of it. But it's like, uh, you know, so like I can understand where like the Spurs would have a high high percentage just because they're they're yeah. so much more selective in that, that not everybody has a green light. Whereas in Houston, it's, you know, I could be on the team and have a green light. And I'll be honest with you folks, I should have a yellow. The Spurs, the Spurs are like Ansel Adams, right? They, they, they set things up. Whereas the Rockets are more like uh, what what photographers would refer to as spray and pray. Like we're just gonna <laughs> we're just gonna throw the ball at the basket a lot, right? And not necessarily worry if it's a great look or a good look or even an okay look, and and hope it goes in. And I think you know that that's the one pushback against the 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 high variance game that they play is so many of those shots are just bad. I, I wrote early in the year about this. This is something I was noticing, actually. I was looking at kind of the uh, at, at the Bucks at the kind of early in the season. We're taking a lot of kind of mediocre early shot, early shot clock threes. And they kind of got away from it after about the first, I want to say, 15, 20 games of the season. Uh, but looking at the league as a whole, there was a rise in these kind of these the, the kind of the very mediocre middle to early shot clock three. And I think that's where you're starting to see uh, kind of pushing up against the edge of what is the, the upper bound of, of three-point attempts that, that you can start to take. I think uh, we've talked about this before. I think that the overall league will continue to shoot more and more, but that's going to be much more about the yes. bottom rising in terms of, of catching up rather right, than right. – you know, rather than Houston suddenly finding a way to consistently take, you know, 60% of their shots from three or something like that. Because I think that... Yeah, this idea that they're going to do what they did with the the Rio Grande Vipers and, and have, like, you know, a team averaging 55 or 63s a game, I just don't think that's going to be possible. Yeah, I mean... I, because the defense will just completely adjust. Yeah. I mean, I think it... No, I think it's possible. I just think it's it's it makes it... The, well, it's yeah, not going to win. The, the returns, like, the, it, you get... get beyond even diminishing returns and you get into the area of like negative returns where you start to have you done the math on this like what's the number where where it actually the the returns do diminish um it's 
it's not straight. It's not that straightforward because it, it depends on on who's mm-hmm. shooting, how you're shooting, and we don't certainly with public data, we don't have a good way of of modeling like replacement, like what shot you're replacing. I think it's it's a little bit uh, um, there's a little bit of guesswork, and this is something that has been um, sure. This has been a discussion for a long time, kind of in the community. Is I think there's no reason to think that um, certainly on a player level, I don't think that. Uh, that like three point, if you want to call it three point aggression, leads to kind of a linearly declining results. I think it's there's a certain point where there's like a cliff. It's like okay, you can shoot those shots, but not these other shots. And you get at a point where all right, you're taking all the ones you can reasonably make, and any additional ones you add are going to be really low value value. So I, I, I so it, it's I think there is kind of a, there, there's likely a discontinuity there that makes you know, actually modeling it pretty difficult. Yeah. That'd be a hard one. I think to figure out just cause the, the whole variable of everything that can happen and right. the, you know, who's guarding you, what everything, yeah. you know, well, I mean, if you're, no, if you're, I mean, if you're, if you, if your additional threes are all being taken by Terrence Ross, who doesn't care, he's just, he's kind of a, right. No, but he's, but it would like Terrence Ross or, or Troy Daniels or, or, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, this third uh, Gerald Green or something like that, who it's like, uh, you know, are kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm going to shoot no matter what, and I can reasonably make them when they're tightly contested. Like then there might be some like the the decline might be more gradual. But if you have guys who have kind of, uh, you know, either you have Russ doing it. What's that? If you have Westbrook shooting it. Well, not just Westbrook, but even a guy who is a good open shooter, but like same like Malcolm Brogdon, a guy who's a good okay. open shooter, but right. his mechanics make it such that it's difficult for him to be a good contested shooter. Like that's not going to be like right. a, a gradual drop off in terms of like his his three point rate versus his efficiency. There's going to be a there's going to be a cliff there. Because it's like he's open and then he's not open, and it's going to be a big difference between the two. And see, this is this is why, like, I try to, I, I always, and you know this, I appreciate the analytics and the science part of it, but I always fall back on the, on the fact that basketball is more like art, and the science can give us more information, but but because of all these changing variables, it's it, it's impossible to predict. Well, you have to you have to know what the what you're looking at from the basketball to actually plug in like the right variables. You know, you have to you have to right. kind of have a sense of where that like that cutoff line might be to examine like which players, you know, can can shoot when contested and semi contested, like our you know like our guy Bertans and which guys you know just have to be open. <laughs> Davis Bertans is like the most unconscious player in the league. I, it's funny that you mentioned Gerald Green and Terrence Ross, but. I still I, I put Davis above them even. No, it's it's more just like the, the 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 track record of guys just not not caring where the defense is. I'm shooting. Well, it's like uh, Duncan Robinson had said recently, or, or I read somewhere where he's just like, I know the amount of space I need. So what it looks like, we're like, damn, I can't believe he's getting this shot off. It's like, no, he he knows he has he he has the space he needs. Like I can't Im- imagine Davis Bertans feels like I don't need any space. I could shoot from a phone inside the phone booth. Like you know, I, it, being six ten helps. Kind of, does help, but even just like the, the a small phone booth, like at the airport, right, where you really got to squeeze in. Um, you know, like I just feel like he's letting that up with no conscious. And and the surprising, the amazing fact is how often it goes in. No, and but I think that if you like, if you talk to most players, they you would you would have them say, yeah, I I know how much room I need to get the shot off. The thing is, is with those guys, 
the the answer is none. I need none room because I know I, I well mean, everybody thinks they're better at it than they right. Everybody I mean, always yeah, thinks they need yeah, none. It's like, I mean, it's not like, you know, obviously, like you know, we're talking about again. You talk about like Gerald Green. That's the extreme of of no conscience. But like again, NBA players generally make pretty good decisions about like their own abilities because if you don't. You, you you don't end up in the NBA or you don't end up playing very much because like you know it's it it, it be, it's very glaringly obvious when when a guy is trying to do stuff he can't do uh, that part's that part's very true we we can definitely see that I'm pulling up PJ Tucker's stats PJ Tucker this season on wide open which is six or more feet which we've talked about before the tracking data on nba.com not amazing it's not that, um, no it's but the, he's at okay, 39.7 the the data is fine the labeling it's, is 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 imperfect right right so six or more feet is the only thing will accept right. is open 39.7% uh 2 to 4 feet 10% 4 to 6 feet 31% and, and so let's just look at it at 4 to 6 that's a that's a normal contest in the nba drops to Eight percentage points. Can you, Dave? Just do. Can you do me a favor? Can you yeah. look up his his number from last year? Just because this year he's had a lot of shoulder problems too. So I I, mm-hmm. I don't know how much that's skewing the the yeah I'll do the, the data. I, I don't um, know. I, I don't oh, really see what it is. You know what? Uh, that's a good eye. He was forty percent in that four to six yeah. range last year, and thirty seven. So he, clearly he's altered his. Uh, He's having he's, 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 he's having you know, shoulder injuries, and that stuff that also goes into these things, right? Like that's that's a hard. Right hard part with all of this so the, the uh, other part the, of that the previous season was about 38 the, the, yeah the, the thing you needed to take into account with that is also just the volume i mean if you look at him i'm actually i'm uh it's low volume less than yeah, one a game of, of the like or right around and, one and a game. that almost tells you as much of uh, of as anything else like if a guy is not shooting except he's open he's telling you that that he needs to be open to shoot well his his shot is a little bit right. slow and he gets a lot of time to set up. He's, he's wide open in the corner so right. often, but he also has a fairly extreme, like, like, and it's probably related to that a little bit. He has a pretty extreme, like corner above the break split. Also, if we're talking about, right. Yeah. Like you, you can leave him wide open above the break that gets into a, that nobody's that, worried that gets about into. So we're bouncing very far afield, but we're, we're here. So let's go. Sure. No, I but mean, this, this is, is what the this show is. is. This is, uh, this is a theory that, that I've, is that, um, I don't think corner three-point ability is actually a top-line skill. I think it's a it's a it's a condiment, not a, a, you know not a, an actual piece of the dish, if that makes sense. Just because so the, it's ketchup, not the burger. Yeah, just well, it's not the fries either. It's you know it's um, uh, because the the volume on, on that is just so low, and it's actually pretty replaceable in terms of. The, the variety of guys you can kind of stick in the corner and then be reasonably competent from there. Um, and so that's why like above the break is really like if, if a guy is, is a floor spacer, he, that means he can make above the break threes, like being competent in the corner is fine, but it's like, that's like the ante rather than like actually bring something to the table. You hear that Dave corner I threes don't matter yeah, anymore say, from see, Seth. No, no, no. See, oh, I get like, we're just, I was going to say, here's the deal. I get that. Like, I completely get that idea that the above the break three is a more valuable skill if someone has it. But the truth is not everybody has it. And so, like, you still want someone who's really competent in the corner just because so much good offense ends up with the ball in the corner for an open look. So you're not devaluing. I'm trying to, like, put words in your mouth, kind of. You're not devaluing the corner three. You're saying that being able to make the corner three 
is less valuable than the above the break. Correct. Um, I think I am devaluing it a little bit in terms of guys. Say, oh, he can he can stretch. He can he can you know stretch out to the corner. And I'm kind of at this point. Right, that's right. sort of so what. Like you're not actually because again the the volume of corner threes that that teams can get up in a game is so is so low yeah. that like and and the the distribution uh, it, it's so the the ability to make them at a reasonable enough weight rate is so widely distributed across rosters that like that's kind of a so what um in terms of of a guy having like genuine offensive impact i know it will if get- that's all you can do that's not great well you never i mean in general in basketball now at this point if you just do one thing that's not good anymore you need to be able to have a couple of tools in your basket if you're just a corner three if you're just an above the break three although that might be more valuable than 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 being just a corner three guy. Well, no, you if you still can make above the break threes, else. you can probably make corner threes too. So it's right. I, I was just I was just making a point, Seth. If you just do one thing, it's <laughs> just killing me. Oh God, I'm trying to help you out here, bud. Uh, you just said corner threes don't matter, and I hope aggregators take you for that one. Um, I, I, I yeah, think I did say that. <laughs> I, that's what that's what that's what I heard, Dave. Did you hear? That's what I heard. <laughs> I no no. I actually I wanted to clarify it because I know. People might jump on that. Um, and that, yeah. So the other thing we wanted to talk about today, uh, aside from Seth's piece on The Athletic, which you can read if you subscribe. But before we move, before um, we move on, what's the, what's oh, the follow-up oh, okay. piece? What, do, you have, do you have a next? This is just kind of like the intro piece, yeah. right? Like what's, what can we well, look We'll talk about that to? next week. Yeah, but I want, I, <laughs> I want a preview. <laughs> I want a preview. I want to start so, studying, okay? So, I, so the thing I'm looking into next is uh, kind of – uh, looking at, at the variety across teams, there's again this pervasive notion that everyone's playing the same now, and you know this data is an imperfect proxy for how teams play, but it gives us somewhere. And in, at least in initial uh, investigation that I feel pretty good in, um, I can say that the that the variation among teams in terms of how they get to offense isn't any smaller than it's than it's been. Across that time period, and uh, in it, depending on how you want to look at it, is actually a decent bit. There's actually a decent bit more variation. So, like again, uh, I don't want to. If there are things that people find displeasing aesthetically about the modern game, like you, you have to credit that. Um, however, you, if if what they're telling you is something they don't like isn't actually happening, then you have to do a little bit more investigation. Because again, the notion that everyone is playing the same doesn't really hold up to scrutiny, I don't think. So there's something else going on, and we can talk, we can figure out what that is. But if there is a, a problem people have with you know what they're watching now, uh, we we do owe it to find out exactly what it is that they're having a problem with, so we can fix it. Um, but everyone playing the same isn't actually happening. I'm I'm looking forward to that because I agree with you on that, Seth, for sure. I'm I'm excited for that article. Okay, so now the other thing that we wanted to talk about uh, because it's it's really that time of year is the draft, and I don't really I'm not ready to talk about any of the prospects. I, I've watched very little of them. I, I've done more reading about them from you know Sam Vecini and and other draft folks that that i trust um but more the actual reality of this year's draft and the fact that it is going to be stats and video that as of right now i don't know how they even do a combine 
mean, they're not I going to. I, yeah, you can't. Yeah. I mean, you just can't under the circumstances we have. I, I'm not sure, 100% sure they're going to have this draft in June. Like I, I won't be surprised if they push. It. Oh no! Like this is I, it's too short. This is this yeah, is. I, I won't be surprised if they push this to to like August or September. I, I I don't know. I'm just throwing out a random month that I'm just happy I can name a few. Um, but the I would ex- I don't expect them to have this thing in June because of stuff like that. Like there's a lot of things that go into this, and I think teams are are, are worried about just doing the. Uh, drafting just off video and, and, and stats and whatever they get in the four hour interviews that they get to have with these guys. Well, Seth, you, I mean, you just came from an NBA front office and so you are familiar with the process. How different do you think it's going to be this year? I mean, I think it is going to be, uh, it is going to be harder. Uh, certainly I think that the, 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 the area where it's going to be materially just, just worse and lead to some, some, more uncertainty and perhaps quote unquote mistakes is on the medical side. Um, there's just, there, there's without the combine, without the ability to kind of get guys in and, and put them through like the battery of tests that, uh, that, that teams, medical staffs do. That's the part where uh, it, there's going to be some, some, some guesswork, some uncertainty, maybe some skittishness. Um, uh, especially as we've kind of seen over the last couple of years, I don't think it's much of a secret. I think Tom Haberstroh has written about this a lot, right. that because of the specialization and, and volume of play that, that these guys are getting at a young age, like there's a lot of like ticking time bombs from a, from a joint standpoint about guys coming into the draft now and not being able to identify that beforehand. is a little bit frightening, uh, frankly. Um, so that's that. That's a part where it's gonna be just like worse in terms of the evaluation of the player as a player. I'm not so certain how much not being able to work a guy out is gonna actually hurt. I think that that there's there's a lot of there's a lot of noise there in in a, in a workout. How much signal there is, I, I don't know. I think that's that's where we disagree though, because I think there is a lot of value in bringing these guys in for the workout. Not necessarily in the okay, he hit whatever we, we used to do the spurs 100 we had a whole three-point shooting drill a range of different threes and what, what do you shoot in the spurs 100 it. by the way mo i know you used to do it what did i no I've, i definitely have done it what was the best i ever did i'm not a great shooter i'm a i'm a i'm a uh when the game's on the line shot maker but i'm probably not a guy that's gonna make the shot in the first or second quarter <laughs> sorry i'm not a great okay. shooter i'm just very clutch yeah so no you, i am clutch were, were you literally 40s chip, 50s chip or 60s england has said that exactly to me chip uh, probably about like in the 40s <laughs> okay. i'm not that that that, that good but okay. it, uh chip england has said that exact thing to me dave so take that by the way explain the spurs 100 please i'm not going to run through every every drill but it's it's different than what we wanted to do was we wanted to develop a different workout than shoot 25 threes from the corner or or whatever it was like mm-hmm. 25 from the corner 25 from the, the above the break top of the key the whatever break. we didn't we wanted to change this up a bit so we did uh, we did a whole bunch of things. It was a series of stuff that was spot shots off the dribble, coming off screens, coming off flares, uh, running into transition, you, you know, threes and things like that. So it was a, a range of it. So we kind of got a escape dribble an idea. Escape dribble. It was a real workout. It was a real workout. A real workout. And, the, and the real thing that was incredibly hard about it was we would do this at the end of a draft workout. So these guys have gone on have done all sorts of exercises, have done three on three in, in, in several different weird scenarios that you put them in. And then we, then we would put them in the Spurs 100 thing. That's just exhausting. 
Um, and, 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 you know, and the thing was, you know, part of it was like, we wanted to see guys, you know, competitive spirit. It wasn't so much, we wanted to see, oh, this guy killed this guy in the three on three workout or whatever drill we were doing. We wanted to see how these guys reacted to it. We wanted to see how, which guy was picking up guys on his team, which guy was, was kind of getting frustrated with his teammates and, and trying to just go it on his own. What guy would just quit? What guy would, would compete and things like that. There's a great article from uh, uh, Keith Smith that uh, he just posted talking about GMs who, who are talking about this very subject. And one of the things in there, a, a story in there was like, they had a guy, one of the teams had a, one of the executives was talking about it, had a guy go through a shooting drill. He shot terribly. He got pissed off and asked to do it again. And they kind of just loved the competitive spirit behind that. And I think there's, those are the kind of things you can't get off video. You don't get off stats. You can call coaches and, and, and get background information, but those people have angles, right? Like, yo, uh, John Calipari wants his guys to go in the lottery, right? So like it makes him look good. So those guys are going to tell you what they need to tell you. You're not getting honest brokers, you know, when you're getting feedback from these coaches or their agents and things like that. So I think that's that's the most important thing in the draft workouts that teams aren't going to get. It's not so much what they actually did in the workout. It's how they reacted to things and 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 that stuff. And I think that matters a lot as well. So it's a little bit of it's a little bit of a gut check, IQ check, conditioning check, it, mentality test. So, y- y- yes and no. I would say that, that that it's also like you know, agents aren't dummies either, and there's some there's some no there's some <laughs> coaching that goes into it. Like they've kind of you know I think that the that that uh, agents have a sense for what people want to hear. And so right. there is there is a certain amount of of learning that goes on uh, in terms of of presenting well in those situations. That's you kind of you you do you do kind of the the guys who uh, ha- are with a big agency versus with a more independent guy. You can sometimes you, you you're picking more up on the coaching than you are on differences between the players. I would say, and I but coaching I don't mean like the coaching that they got in college. I mean the coaching that they got like in interviewing. Right. Going into the workout, going in, like, you know, they're coming in going like, be ready. You're going to San Antonio. They have the Spurs 100, you know, like all sorts of, they're going to talk to you about this stuff in the interview. Seth's a hundred percent right. in the, the coaching that the, the agents give these guys going into the pre-draft workout stuff when they're, when they're walking into a, uh, organization's facility for the first time to basically, uh, addition for a job. And, and that's what it is. I just think there's a lot of interesting things you could find in, interesting things teams can take away from that that value of that workout and those conversations with guys and even just doing it on Skype like I used to do Skype interviews for a living like I used to recruit tech guys based on Skype interviews and that was hard as hell like you know that then they would go to the company that we we'd send them to and the company would just tell us stuff and I'm like huh you can't pick up everything in just a video interview you know in person you get to see a little more things up close and stuff like that so I think this is uh, a, a very tough draft environment for teams because I think there's just everything's a piece to the puzzle. The draft workouts aren't the end all be all. Like you can't place everything in that. You can't place everything in video. You can't place everything in the stats. Like I think they all go together to kind of tell you what what you're getting with this guy. And I think it's it's. I mean, if I'm a team, I'd be terrified right now drafting. 
And and this is a this is a scary draft to begin with. Like, but dra- so draft Twitter has been doing this. Is you know I don't want to get too deep on Twitter, uh, but draft Twitter has been doing film and stats analysis basically the entire time. I don't think a lot of those guys are going and seeing guys in person. They're definitely not doing individual workouts. That'd be a hell of a thing. This would be a, a, a good a, individual know, draft Twitter funny, right? workout. <laughs> Lamelo Ball walking into the LA Fitness might, for the draft Twitter workouts. Might might have to uh, might have to use that idea. Mike Mike Smells might want to cut that one out for me, please. Thanks. Uh, but so it is kind of an interesting test case for you know how do you proceed going forward? Like, what if teams actually decide you know what this isn't bad? Maybe this is enough. I I don't know. I don't think you're going to have that from teams. Teams are always going to want the most information you can possibly get. I mean, Seth already touched on the, the importance of the medical side of it alone. Um, but I just, I, I just think teams are always going to want more information. And I know we, you get worried about, you know, uh, you, you do have situations where a coach will fall in love with a prospect and you, you know, the, the front office has got to be like, no, dude, you, you, you can't be, uh, no, like that's not the guy we're drafting or whatnot. You, you run into those issues. Uh, and, and I think every team has had that at one point or another. And, and that tends to make the challenges of the, make the drafting challenging in that sense. But that's why you got to kind of just have your core guys and your coaches got to trust that your front office has been on top of this for seeing these guys the past few years and things like that. So I think they're always going to want more information though, Dave, I just can't see, see a team, you know, would that being readily available, just going like, no, nah, we're good. So I, I'd be terrible because I would, I would say, man, I really love this kid from Villanova. Every time, every single draft, <laughs> every draft. I mean, you know the the uh, yes. <laughs> um, they make he may, listen. Jay Wright is a very good coach. Yeah, he coaches like that's that's role player university. Jalen Brunson, baby, I'm a big fan. Well, I I, I do yeah, think yeah. so. I, mean, I think I mean if you but if you're if you're it's not. I think the the danger is you get into oh this guy's a winner. And that's why. And, but but you know, what what is the right. thing that the that the Villanova guys strongly tend to have that we've talked about before? That is a that is a, an, an important thing, even for, especially for perimeter players in today's game, is they have great Grit. body strength. Like you look at the guys coming out right. of right. like aside from maybe like you know Mikhail Bridges who has other obvious physical attributes, like. Everyone else who's come out of Villanova recently is is strong, is in there, just a yeah. monster. And like you go from Josh Hart to Dante DiVincenzo to Jalen Brunson to you know the, the like, and so that's the, like if you if you're talking about like okay, you're not going to get physically overmatched on the floor with if if you're going with a Villanova guy, and that's and is U is UVA another school that's kind of like that. Uh, um, it, I don't, I don't think Ty Jerome is very good. So no, um, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> the hemming and hawing was the answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, but see, but that's like, but, the, but so that's like that, that's actually a, like a, an interesting, because, because, you know, when Virginia's had guys who had that, you know, your Joe Harris is your Malcolm Brogdon's like, you know, right. it's like, okay, they've, they've done, done well, well, but then you like. Like, how does, like, you know, how does Ty Jerome, like, okay, Ty Jerome might be a, quote, winner at the college level, but is he, like, there's not much we saw this year that would dissuade you from the the kind of the pre-draft opinion that he physically just can't do it. 
Like, you know, there's the, it's, it's a step too far for him because of, of, you know, physical limitations and not just, not just his like, you know, lack of quickness, but he's also like small and not very physically strong. And, and so that's, you know, it's, it, so it's the, the characteristic that is, is not necessarily some like magic sauce that, that a program has. Though the, the Villanova so strength th- and conditioning coach might be the, <laughs> might be the magic sauce here. Oh, no, that's interesting. See, it's, it's funny because we always just think about the player, but maybe that guy, uh-oh, might have just figured something out. So. Well, like, no, but, you know, you, you talk about it in, like, the guys who you know that a guy from Villanova has been in a program, and uh, if a guy from UNC, like, maybe he has, maybe he hasn't, but it's more about the, it's more about the kid and less so about, the, about the, what, what they're doing as a program. Yeah. Might see if we can get Jay Wright to come on and talk about it. I really I'd be curious to see if how much he recruits guys that are close to where they need to be or whether he trusts the team that he's put together to build these guys might be an interesting uh, thing to talk about. There's probably some of both like he probably like looks for toughness and then like the program for across various ways like hones it even further. Yeah. And then, you know, getting these guys into a proper strength conditioning program as well to help build that body strength and things like that. That's also going to help in that, in that situation. Cause you're not getting that in high school. Uh, yeah, very, very rarely. I mean, if you play football, you get a bad version of it, right? You know, you're it's, at least 20 something years ago. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, tweet at us guys. If that's, if that's changed in high school, it's been a yeah, long, it's yeah. been a long time since I've been in high school. So <laughs> we are, are going to do up downs until blue is no longer tired. <laughs> And thirsty. <laughs> I was having. We were talking yeah. about this the other night. That that we grew up. We were like the last group that had to do football practice in July and August. And I mean, I'm in. I was in Virginia, where it was, you know, routinely 100 degrees with 100 percent humidity, and uh, you couldn't just get water whenever you wanted. We were also drinking out of a water hose with you know 40 other guys. Disgusting. That's, that's, uh... I wonder how that would go now in the new uh, COVID uh, nineteen yeah. era. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's, it's, let's, it's let's, over. Those days let's are ask done. Mike Gundy what he thinks. Let's not ask Mike Gundy. Oh, what he don't get me started on that. That's yeah. that's not a uh, nerd or uh, she wrote yeah. uh, no. topic. No. Well, it might be. But <laughs> no, uh, all right. So, uh, what are you guys doing this week coming up? Uh, I'm, Do weeks exist anymore? It's weird. Uh, I mark my days, my weeks based on the uh, Law and Order uh, marathon on the Sundance <laughs> channel that goes on Thursday and Friday. That's how I know what day of the week it is. <laughs> I, I mark my days with this podcast. I know we're recording every Wednesday, sometime in the early afternoon. It's just, it's just if I just hang out, if I just hang out near my computer long enough, I'll get a text from Mo. Hey, I'm on. <laughs> yeah, somebody will call at some point. Right? Just leave Skype on. Somebody's going to call. Um, you know, but this week I am, uh, as you guys would be uh, shocked to know, I'm diving into old basketball. Uh, taking a look at some of the guys in the uh, in the 90s era. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll have something out in the next week or two. As long as you're not about to tell us that Carl Malone wasn't good at basketball. Oh, my God. Okay. Dude, don't don't tell people what I'm working on, Dave. <laughs> right. No, I know what you're talking about, Dave, and come on. Like, yeah. No. I know. That's just, uh, people, listen. I'm sorry. Like, if you're if you're under 30, 
and maybe under 35. Like, I just don't know if you can talk about Carl Malone. Like, come on, guys. Like, any, like, let's let's stop that. Like, dude, I don't, okay. no, I don't want to even get started so, on that. That was just stupid. Yeah, yeah. My, my hot take, <laughs> my hot take is, has always been that Stockton oh. was a better is a better player than Carl Malone was. But that's like yes, okay. It's like okay, so so it among the top fifty players of all time, one of them ranks higher than the other. Like, like <laughs> right, right. Like, what we, <laughs> no, the the listen, and not to I, again. This is just spending too much time on Twitter. Uh, the the argument being that he mastered the pick and roll, and that's why he was so good. The pick and like, roll is yeah. fundamental to the game of basketball. Oh, so he was just he was just good at like the, the 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 basic action of the modern NBA. Yeah. So therefore, he was really yeah. good, Seth. You're 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 leaving this out. He was just really good at making the ball go through the hoop. That's it. He wasn't what wasn't great. Just really really good at it. You know. See, you know. The, uh, the, the funny he, thing he, is 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 when we with? is when 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 we stat guys criticize a guy for. Yeah, he just he just he just scores and doesn't do anything else. It's like, go watch the games, <laughs> right? And he like Demar Derozan's <laughs> averaging twenty five a game. How can you not like him? And then, but now anyway, don't give me rabble, rabble. I think with that though, it's because you guys are nitpicking. This is just the person's an idiot <laughs> with the stat guys saying that Demar like. And and by the way, no no stat guy that that I respect said he was a bad basketball player at all. Because clearly, Demar Derozan is not right. bad at basketball. He's he's but he but you a, guys get he's an effective NBA player. We might disagree on this. Uh, okay, let's go. at a and on a, a championship level or a championship contention level play, there he's you go. an ineffective player. Okay, yeah. fair, fair. Like yeah, he's fair. like you know <laughs> he's sort of the the you know the the. Uh, depending on what you need, if you if you need to fill. If you're a mediocre team that needs to fill possessions and needs needs an innings eater, great. If you actually want to, you know, go to the conference finals, yeah. So you're predicting that he's going to opt out and sign with the Knicks. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I mean, that would be pretty perfect. Uh, all right. So what are you doing this week? Uh, uh, so. I am I am uh, in the process of writing the follow up to the the offensive styles. Uh, piece. Um, I have a. We did kind of a uh, a fun little thing where me and uh, a baseball, uh, football, and hockey writer got together and uh, and and drafted things from uh, from other sports. Uh, that 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 should be coming out later this week or early next week, I think. Um, listeners of this pod will not be surprised in the least by any of my selections. Um, and, uh, I'm also as part of our, like athletic goes uh, local thing. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm writing about my, uh, kind of my spot here in Milwaukee that, uh, that ho- hopefully can make it through these times. And, and, uh, um, uh, cause if no other reason, I got to take Dave here next time he comes here because it's a, uh, it's a, it's a That's wrestling right. bar. So. Oh, oh, I don't. I don't have any interest. At first, I was offended that you uh. were just going to take Dave, and I was like, "Yo, what the hell?" And then when you said it was wrestling, I was like, "I'm good." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I watched WrestleMania, um, and it's the first wrestling I've watched in like ten years, maybe even more. Um, and it was interesting. It was. Uh, I didn't hate it. There was some really great stuff, but I did a I did a podcast uh, with my friend Ben Cruz. Um, and uh, I think that's going to come out the same day as this show. So 
Uh, if you want to hear me talk about wrestling, I actually tell kind of a little bit of like old wrestling stories on that show. Uh, but it was fun and uh, it was interesting. Um, and then uh, that's it. That's all I'm doing. It's just like uh, doing my normal routine. My life hasn't really changed all that much, except I don't get to go out to my favorite restaurants and I'm not watching basketball. That's it. Everything else is pretty much the same. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, please leave that awkward silence in. Um, anyway, that's it for this this week, folks. Uh, catch us next week with more Nerd She Wrote. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.